to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help make your dreams come true, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We are on the podcast uh, locations throughout the Internet. We don't know where it began, nor do we know where it ends. Uh, all we know is we're somewhere in the middle of no beginning and no ending. Figure that one out and get back to me, will you? Uh, we are on podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and all kinds of other locations. You are reposting, and thank you for doing that. It expands our reach. It shows people that we are out there. We are trying to, uh, well, I've said it before. I will say it again. We're out to change the world. Yes, we are. And we thank you for being a part of that. Um, so with that being said, uh, we also are on YouTube. You know that. We're on YouTube. And it's a cool thing to be on YouTube. And we encourage you to go to our website, richarddugan.com. Go to the missions page and you can learn more about what we are doing. And uh, we also have PayPal account and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. If you'd like to support us financially, we would be ever so grateful for all of that. So please do what you can. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to those who have supported us. And we've had quite a few people. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those who will support us. We also want you to participate in a very important event. It's been going on for over a year. I've been promoting it since September of 2019. It's called, in this case, the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. We encourage you to spend time going within. That's where you have perfect vision, regardless of what your vision is. Mine, when I was born, 2200 in the right eye, 2400 in the left. But I always had 2020 vision going within, finding that still small place to find the answers that I need to make it through the day-to-day, -day, the week-to-week, -week, the month-to-month, -month, to get inspiration, to get guidance, to uh, get encouragement, and to also find that still, quiet, a peaceful place where I can listen to the still, small voice and uh, really find out what uh, my life is all about, who I am. I know it's a little scary because we do have a dark side. We also have a light side, and it's important to get to know who we are. So please do that. It would be gratefully appreciated if you do. Today's program is topical. It's important. We need to uh, find out more about this uh, particular subject, <clears throat> especially considering the fact that we are in the age, I call it the COVID era, but we're also in the age uh, of what I love, this phrase, uh, we're in the age of truth decay, truth decay. Well, today we're going to uh, hopefully demystify some of these things, but also Get some more information about what's really going on. We're going to talk with uh, Abby Levine. She's the filmmaker and she has COVID PVO. And uh, Abby, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. We are socially distant. No, we're not wearing masks. I joke with people saying that one day we could catch something even through the Internet in spite of the fact that, yeah, there are viruses and there's software. <laughs> but, you know, I'd rather have smell-o-vision before we could pass viruses through the Internet. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about COVID POV. It's definitely a project that has been 
long time in the making now, unfortunately, and it came about very suddenly, and it should be, uh, hopefully, we'll educate your listeners. All right. So for those people, uh, we're going to start the education early here. <clears throat> and I even asked the question, uh, obviously, because I didn't know what it was, uh, and um, you had made a comment about it, and we can talk about that as well if we want. But COVID POV, and some people are going, POV, what's POV? Because I know what PPE is and all of that stuff. I heard all these other acronyms. What's POV? We chose the name COVID POV um, because we wanted to show different people's points of view. Um, and what this project is, is it is a uh, deep dive um, into the first 60 days that um, the virus hit and the first 60 days of quarantine. So, of course, when we started on March 13th, we didn't know that this would still be going on nine months later. Yeah, it's... Uh... Oh, it is it is an extraordinary situation that we we are in today that probably most all of us have never been through before. Unless you're over 100 years old, you uh, went through the Spanish flu. But that was uh, over 100 years ago. And you you'd still be an infant or a, a toddler if you had been through that, unless you're 120 or 130. And who knows? There may be some out there. Um, I remember when this whole thing started. What about you? What was your first of all? What was your first? Uh, what was your first uh, uh, impression of what started to happen? Say, uh, as the news started to come out in maybe mid late. Actually, I think it was in November of 2019. We started to hear little snippets uh, regarding China and this particular virus. Well, to be honest with you, I actually didn't pay any attention to it at first, Richard. I live in New York City. Uh, I have an infant and um, I have been mainly focused on our world. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge political fan or advocate. Mm -hmm. I, I don't watch a ton of news. And um, I think there's so many things going on in our world all the time and you, you can't you it's important to focus inward on what you can control mm -hmm. so um that's sort of how i live my life so i i what what happened in new york city was that people started realizing that this was actually going to be an issue and i i was ready to go back to work after being on maternity leave for six months so I was actually scheduled to go to Atlanta um, on April 1st um, to film a TV show. And so I was deep in the thick of that and um, not at all ready for a quarantine. And in fact, on March 6th, the weekend of March 6th, I went up to see a friend who has a beach house and she and her husband are both in the healthcare industry. And they said, you're not going, oh, you're not going to Atlanta. Well, none of us are going anywhere. And I sort of scoffed at them, but... You know, he works in insurance and she works in a hospital and they knew exactly what was coming our way. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, it's it was what was interesting to me. And, and actually, again, not that I and I say this every time I do these uh, have these conversations with people on the program, not that I was uh, wanting anybody to be injured or catch this thing or die from it. But in uh, March when they did make the decision to start shutting the country down, as it, as the phrase goes, I was elated. And the reason I was elated was because I'm 60, okay? And throughout my entire life, as the influenza would circle the globe every, every year, 
uh, we would do nothing. Of course, then the vaccines came along and well, that was something, but it still was nothing. And I used to advocate back when I was in my teens and early 20s, why don't they just shut the airlines and travel down for two weeks? Two weeks! Oh, no, no, no. Too devastating to the economy. The economy. It's like, my God, what is this monolith that we can't seem to get over, under, around, or through that, that keeps us from taking care of people in this country? I, I use the phrase from the uh, Declaration of Independence, that um, the, the, the phrase, to promote the general welfare and to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, your infant child, okay? And I'm yeah. sitting here going, what do you mean you have the constitutional right to do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, however you want, regardless of what that does to the general welfare or to our posterity? So you're saying you are more important than the collective, than the community, than your family. I was going to visit my parents uh, on my parents' anniversary and then on my dad's birthday back in August. And they said, please don't. And it's like, I don't want to be responsible for contaminating them. And They're in their 80s, late 80s. So uh, the, I was elated overall uh, back in March because we were going to do something different. Einstein's phrase, uh, definition of insanity. And I knew that because we were doing something different, we may not like what it's going to look like coming out the other side. But at least it was going to be different. And then the opportunities... And in your case, the opportunity to make this film, what were some of the key things that you learned in the creation of this project? What didn't you know going in? And what, what was your point of view coming out the other side? Well, I didn't know that I could decide to make a film on March 13th and then be in production on March 14th. <laughs> <laughs> So this film came together very, uh, you know, really just kind of by the grace of whoever controls these creative decisions out up there in the world. I put up, I, I said, you know what, if we're going to be in quarantine, I'm not going to be able to stop my creative brain from going. And, you know, I'm in a small, fairly small apartment in New York, so I've got to stay busy. And so I posted um, the idea of who wants to help me make this film while we're in quarantine into a Facebook group uh, made up of all women who work professionally in television and film. And I got originally we had about 50 people helping us out. We got down to a group of 22, which was still a lot of people to manage um, for a period of time. And yeah. then, you know, we kind of kept getting a little bit smaller. But um, we got submissions from 71 people for 60 days over the course of March, April, and May. And some of them went into June. Um, look, I think that we thought we would we would all be released from quarantine at the end of 60 days. We could have kept recording, but first we were gonna do 30 days and then we were gonna do 60 days. And we just decided, we thought, wow, we really have a lot of footage already, mm -hmm. actually. Um, and, so we decided to stop. Also, it's a it's a big project to have done no post no pre production and development on, and just go into production. And also, it's not like any of us had ever ever filmed remotely before, you know, or been, you know, we, we've all a lot of us have dealt with acquired footage before, but we hadn't dealt with um, directing people remotely, and then just the sheer amount of 
the sheer amount of video that we have that came in that had to be organized and then, you know, tell a story in. Um, just to just so everybody knows too, we're still in editing on this project. So it hasn't <laughs> it hasn't been released yet. We're still we're still hemming and hawing away at the creative. But um, well, yeah. I, I remember my first major audio production. Um, uh, we recorded I, I don't know how many hours of audio, and this is going back to when we were using reel to reel. Okay, right, and so we went through, and I'm splicing in the China marker, marking and cutting and splicing and all of this kind of stuff like you used to do with the 35 right. millimeter with film you used to do 70 right. millimeter whatever whatever the format was and believe it or not i still kind of miss that i really do yeah. I, I miss that because it's tangible it's hands-on it's it yeah. was it was great fun anyway uh so so you're still in the process i'm and, and of course you you uh, live by the adage that it is better to have more and have to eliminate than not to have enough and have to figure out how to lengthen it. Although a, a documentary such as yours, COVID POV, uh, is, there a, is there a time limit? Uh, this sort of the, 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 the structural protocol aspect of it. Is there a particular uh, time frame that you're trying to put it into? We are in the process of figuring that out also. There's, there's some talk of us making it about an hour and a half long um or we may we may put some of the stories together and release them in pods um mm. we started to put the footage together and we got some of the beefier stories to like about 10 15 minutes and some of the smaller stories you know are even shorter than that but mm -hmm. there's a matter of are we going to intercut them this is the filmmaking process right it depends it's it's all um anybody's game right it's anybody's yeah. decision how we actually tell the stories so um we have a lot of there's there's you know there's a lot of uh obviously there's a lot of serious moments that people are going through um we have a woman who's pregnant um and as part of it we have people that are essential workers on the front lines that are in it mm. we have people that are having mental pretty serious mental issues um being uh at home and having some PTSD. Um, we tried to find some humor. We do have some humor. We have a really pretty funny family from Staten Island um, who is telling their story. But the purpose of this was to really, we think that there's, it's gonna be hard to explain this to our children and future generations. And so we feel like we really captured a, a historic document um, of what we all experience from our POV, mm -hmm. our perspective, our points of view in our home when we suddenly the world stopped. Yeah. Right. So that was the purpose of, of getting the footage so that we could be able to look back on it. And we're thinking maybe we'll release this at the one year anniversary, maybe the two year, maybe the five year. We're not really sure. We're, we're sitting on it to see when the most appropriate time is at the moment and figuring out how to do the creative. So what would be the anniversary date? Uh, is it March 6th? <laughs> or I mean, Satsia, that's the other thing, too, because uh, one of the first cases in the United States, I believe, was back in January of 2020. Right. Uh, but right. we didn't lock down the country until um, early, uh, early mid-March. And, uh, and of course, uh, there you go. Now... One of the uh, and speaking of humor, <clears throat> um, I tried to put sort of a humorous spin on this myself. 
by by looking at <laughs> and again, ladies and gentlemen, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody who has had it, has caught it, has been sickened, has been uh, permanently uh, affected because that's one of the problems with this virus. Even if you survive it, if you were adversely affected, a lot of your organs are going to be impacted for we don't know how long. And then no disrespect to anybody who has died from it. My God, we are fast approaching. I can't believe this. 300,000 people. We're, we're, they, they say we're going to get there probably before March. And I can't. And, and again, we're not talking numbers here. This is one thing I try to remind people. This is not a number we're talking about. These are human beings, family and friends and relatives and acquaintances, even if it's just within business, that are gone. 300,000 human beings just in this country alone. Uh, but I tried to put a somewhat humorous spin on it by saying, how do we know that this virus isn't some uh, um, extraterrestrial? I mean, we assume that all extraterrestrials are bipedal in our size. But some of them could be huge giants or microbes. We don't know. And how do we know that this, this virus isn't sentient? And, of course, the joke part is, where's the prime directive when you need it? Um, but with that being said, we went to war and I was really surprised that it's like, what is wrong with us? Why is it that we always have to have an enemy? We never referred to the flu virus, the influenza. Uh, we never went to war against it. We never went to war against polio or tuberculosis or any of the others that we have treatments for. Your thoughts on... Using a military term, if you will, a combative term, even though, yes, we, you know, people do battle this and some people succumb and so forth and others have those underlying conditions. But your thoughts about, and again, I'm, I'm with you. I do not want to get, I don't want to politicize this, but many people in and out of politics use that terminology. Your thoughts? Well. Or is it a moot point? The, what it brings up for me in that question is how is the news reporting on COVID? And, um, you know, I've been inside a lot of newsrooms. Um, I've launched a lot of big talk shows to big talk shows that are still on the air 20 years ago. Um, you know, I've been inside the halls of all of the celebrity talk shows. And, you know, the truth is that, you know, the bloodier, the gorier, the more exaggerated, the better. That just is the truth. If it bleeds, uh, it leads. It is true. Mm. And what I noticed, what I, what I can speak specifically to is that I noticed as soon as we, we uh, during the election, mm -hmm. that so much of the COVID talk went away. And literally the second that Biden was essentially named our president, the nightly news went back to the blood and gore of COVID. And that's when I really said, you know, this, I don't, I do think it's bad. I am taking it seriously. I'm wearing a mask everywhere and mm -hmm. sanitizing. Me too. Taking quarantining. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it needs to be considered. I don't know. It's, it's a tricky question. I mean, is it a war? Yeah, it's, it is a war, but I don't, but there's a lot of, things we're all dealing with all the time. And I'd like, I'd like to see more 
airtime given to essential workers and mm-hmm. families, people that have lost loved ones. And I'd like to get see more effort put on solutions rather than always highlighting the problems. Yeah. Are they still uh, applauding and uh, celebrating these first responders? I think it was like at 7 p.m. every afternoon or evening. They stopped doing that. No, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. In yeah. fact, I knew that Biden had been had been announced as the winner because that Saturday around 12:15 the same noise erupted out of my apartment window. Mm. It was the same and I said, "Oh my gosh, you know, the New Yorkers are still doing that um the banging of the pots and screaming and stuff." But no, no, I mean no. Yeah. Let me let me ask you, how many people uh have you to this point cuz you say you're you're still editing, so I take it you're no longer gathering footage. But how many people did you talk to across this country, or was it was it a global uh, was it a global project? And how many countries? We have seventy one contributors um, from all over the country, and I believe we counted seven countries. So okay. we had um, Spain, Italy, Morocco. Um, somebody from China submitted. Um, where else did we have? Oh, Guatemala. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, Venezuela. Wow. And Czech Republic. And Czech Republic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so we... Go ahead. Yeah. Well, okay. So so the, the, the perspective coming from each one of these people, the 71, you have 71 different perspectives. Uh, were many of them similar or were they all pretty much uh, in one direction? How, how, what, was the, which, what was the divergence of perspectives? There are some themes that emerge, especially with parents having kids at home. But what we find so fascinating, and we being the, the it's all female filmmakers too. I should have mentioned that up top. It's oh, that's all, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks. I know it is a big deal. There's like a story behind the story. Oh yeah. Well, because we all didn't even know each other, and we came together to make this film. Mm-hmm. So we met every day um, in quarantine, which was fantastic. But um, we produced we would follow the stories i mean no they're all very different some Mm -hmm. of them are there's some singles there's many families there's all different um uh genders and also uh wealth levels um we really tried to capture what we felt would be the most um diverse group of people that others could see and relate to so actually there's not there's nobody that's extremely wealthy it's mainly middle class and and below we have some people we have a couple of farmers Hmm. we have somebody from a a native american man from an indian reservation that um was closed down um nobody could get in or out of the reservation um and yeah i mean we have a young intern um a resident doctor up in boston who we followed through the course of the beginning of the pandemic when he felt like he was a little bit cocky and it was funny because some people said, Oh, he's not a good character. And I said, no, 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 this guy is going to have a good story arc because you, you, you could almost see where that story was going Mm -hmm. because once the realities of COVID hit, you know, things got real for him and he did in fact actually get COVID and he's considering whether or not he even wants to stay in the medical field now. So um, we have stories like that. Um, we have a blueberry farmer from Seattle, Washington, 
um, whose small business is affected and her neighbors are affected and they sort of feel like they're preparing, but they are not sure it's going to hit them too hard. Mm -hmm. you know? And so you don't know whether or not it's going to get to them. Um, and we have um, a waiter, an African-American waiter who has who completely runs out of money um, and he has to depend on his friends um, for for food actually mm. um, and you know he's very philosophical and very deep and he has a healing relationship with his mother through this um, because he realizes that it could easily be the end for anyone at any point yeah um, well so it's very it's really all over the place where can people go to either uh, to, to see anything of uh, yeah. of the film at this particular point? Again, I know you're still editing, so I'm sure there's probably not a lot. Uh, but uh, tell us how people can find out more about this uh, this film, the documentary, and the work you're doing. And if you're still accepting any uh, uh, contributions of, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, testimonials, so to speak, of their experiences, perspectives, I guess I should say, points of view. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Yeah. Yeah, we did start a social media um, pages. So we have an Instagram account and a Facebook account, and they're both COVID POV. So C-O-V-I-D POV. Um, I, the best piece of video that we released so far is our trailer, which you may have seen already. Mm -hmm. um, and it um, is about four and a half minutes long. Um, and so that's where, that's where people can see it. And I think we have that posted on our Facebook, um, actually at the top. Um, but yeah, that's already gotten over a thousand views actually. And I should just say at this point, you know, we are looking for, um, if, if help finishing the film financially and distribution. And I have a production company, it's called Swirl Studios swirl s-w-i-r-l dash studios.com um and uh oh the sizzle reels on there yeah the sizzle reels on there so the the trailer mm -hmm. um is on there but if people wanted to contribute um their story we're not officially taking anymore mm -hmm. you know we're not in production at the moment we're in post-production but i think you know maybe given uh, who knows? We keep saying we we keep saying we need to fire this back up again and do like six months later. <laughs> yeah. As of our conversation, ladies and gentlemen, and I actually have gone to a link. Apparently, there is a website. Uh, it is uh, covidpov.com. Now, I don't know if you're related to that. It seems like it looks similar. Uh, interesting points of view uh, on the on COVID and its potential impact on all of us. The future is good. Uh, now that's what the the website says. Is this is this anything? That's not us. COVID dot com. No, that's not us. All I right. can't. Well, I I am I am looking at the oh. uh, the World Health Organization, and as of our conversation uh, here with Abby, uh, Abby Levine Levine, is it Abby Levine Levine Levine? Levine. Got yep, it right the first time. Sixty two million six hundred and sixty two thousand one hundred and eighty one. That is global confirmed cases, 62 million. And of those, we have 1,460,223 deaths. Yeah. And that is uh, as we speak now. Uh, and apparently uh, the Americas uh, taken the lead. And this is under the category 
uh, by regions of uh, 26,663,000. Europe has 18,660,000. Southeast Asia, 10 million, uh, and so forth. And the smallest that's listed here is the Western Pacific with only 886,000. Uh, and obviously, the smaller areas are going to have smaller populations, ergo, hopefully smaller. Uh, but it's interesting to take a look at the map that they've provided as well. This opens the question to the level of information, facts that are contained within the context of COVID POV, the documentary that you're putting together. Is that its intent to provide facts and or information uh, about, or is this strictly a, um, I'm going to say subjective because each point of view is a subjective perspective. Uh, but what it does, it's like what we try to do on this program, Abby. We we have this event. In this case, it's the coronavirus, COVID-19. It's in the middle of the circle. And what we want to do is we want to rock around the points of the circle to get as many different perspectives as we possibly can so that we can better understand what's happening, what people are going through, what's happening uh, in terms of the numbers as the World Health Organization has listed on their website and so forth. So uh, can you describe for us uh, that aspect of the content, what people are going to take away from uh, this documentary? It is strictly non-factual. We actually say it's not about the virus at all. It's about the circumstances surrounding the virus. Okay. So it's what happens when people are in their own home, and it's the stories of those people. Mm-hmm. Strictly. Okay. And it's important. That's one of the things that's been brought out in the last few interviews that I've done is this aspect of understanding. Is that your point with this documentary is to help the general public to understand what other people are going through and if I, if I may quote the line that's <laughs> – I guess it's sort of become a cliche now um, – to, to let people know they aren't alone. I mean really they are not alone. Well, I, I – those are two different things. Okay. First of all, I do think people are alone and I think people are really, really suffering a lot from the isolation mm-hmm. and I personally – I'm an optimist, but I think it's hard to tell people you're not alone because you are alone. And and this is wonderful, you know, face to face on a computer. But we're 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 I think that we're going to have a huge mental health crisis on our hands after this. And we do now. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just so many people that are so badly off during this that we're not even talking about. And yes, I mean, the way that you framed it, Richard, is exactly we never actually have said it that way, but that absolutely is my personal mission i i have a i have a nonprofit called spread the sparkle and we do events on holidays for women and kids that have survived domestic violence it's five years in the running and you know we we put on these beautiful events and um for, for them and santa claus comes and we do beauty gifts for the women and it's really nice and this year we're shifting to some of the doing Christmas, um, we're, we're raising, we're in the process of raising $5,000 for, um, for 10 families to give them each $500 gift certificate, probably to target so that they can get food and toys and supplies for Christmas. Because 
I mean, what I think is happening right now is that everyone is suffering and no one is available for support. You know, the systems have started to fall out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that are normally strong are also suffering and they're also going a little crazy going inside. And there's just a huge breakdown of emotional support systems happening. Um, and we, I, I, I do think that we often forget about each other. And so I, I thought that the um, the reason that I wanted to do this film was so that nobody got forgotten and that there wasn't is an understanding of what all different types of people are going through. We were very careful about inclusivity um, in our casting um, when it comes to gender, race, um, like I said, wealth structure and um, even where people live we felt like it was really important to have a diverse group. And that speaks to having a lot of women running this also. That Mm -hmm. was not actually something that I particularly thought about. I can't take credit for that. We had a a couple of other producers who really insisted on us getting, you know, like uh, we have, yeah, we wanted to make sure that we were all inclusive um, doing so. So, you know, it really has taken a village to get this project um, filmed and, yeah, we hope that people realize, I think we all think we're struggling and suffering. I know I do just having, I'm a single mom by choice and having a child at home by myself suddenly for nine months has been beautiful, but also really hard, you know, <laughs> and I have it really good compared to a lot of people. And, you know, um, yeah, I my heart really hurts for so many people that are just I can't imagine how some people are feeding their children right now. I just don't, I don't understand. Yeah. I, and, and certainly uh, I, I'm, I guess, very fortunate in that respect that uh, I have been able to continue to work. My wife has been able to continue to work, although she was early on, she was furloughed for eight weeks. We did have unemployment. And at that time they were kicking in that extra $600 a week. Um, and I know too, that, we don't know what's going to happen in the next uh, few months. Uh, you know, they say end of 2021 actually could go into 2022 as far as maybe wearing masks, still doing the social distancing. Um, speaking of social distancing, I've heard it said that's the wrong, the wrong word in that distancing, not social distancing, physical distancing. Don't social distance, but physically distance yourself because uh, that's where the difference is going to be made as far as um, as far as uh, this virus is concerned. Uh, but don't socially distance. Stay as connected as you can, keeping physical distance, uh, with family and friends. I don't necessarily agree with people who jumped on airplanes at Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, to go visit family and friends. Um, I've heard it said... And maybe I'm wrong about this. And again, this is kind of getting into the facts a little. If we had done what we were asked to do in the first three to four months that this pandemic was declared, we'd be done by now. It would be over for the United States. But we didn't do that. And whether you want to blame the government or institutions, the health organizations, whoever you or I say it's on the people. Because that's where the action has to take place. You and I, 
Abby. Uh, you just said earlier, you do two out of the three. You wear the mask, you sanitize your hands regularly, but you're still out and about amongst the people, but you're wearing your mask and you're keeping that, that distance between you and other I've people. i criticism for that, actually. Yeah? <laughs> Which criticism for what? <laughs> for what? I mean, it's subtle, but being out and about, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole, that's a rabbit hole we could go down. Sure, want. sure. Well, and I, I'm, I'm out and about myself, but I'm not, I'm not doing it because I want to be around people. I have to go get, you know, my wife and I will go to the grocery store. We need to shop. We need to get food. Uh, got to put gas in the truck to get to and from work and that kind of thing. I'm fortunate that 99% of the time I am by myself at the workplace. So... You know, I have a fairly safe – my wife is in the medical field. She's not by herself, but she has to wear a mask during the entire shift. Um, so uh, – and, and she does. So there are, there are things we've been asked to do. Mm-hmm. And if we had just done them in the first three to four months, like China, we'd be done. We'd, it would be pretty much over. We'd be getting back to normal already. But people – Well, that comes down to one five-letter word. And that is? <laughs> and what's the five-letter word? I think Trump. I know what it is. What's that? Trump. Well, that may be true. That may be true, but I also would give you another five-letter word. It come okay. down, comes down to, and again, I'm understanding is not only what you said, but what others have said as well, but the other five-letter word is money. It yeah. comes down to money. Everybody's talking about the economy, the economy, the economy, the economy. Well, if we had shut down the airports on both coasts, we only did it on the West Coast initially until they realized, oh, they're coming in from Europe too. Um, anybody with half a brain would have thought, we should have shut down both coasts, shut them down, and done it for two weeks like I was mentioning earlier. Like I said, it's possible. Again, I, I, you know, 2020 being hindsight, <laughs> as well as <laughs> the things we're promoting, um, we might be through this by now. But again, you, who, who's to say? You know, we, we just don't know. Um, when you talked with each one of these people, were there specific questions that you asked or did you just open it up and share with us your thoughts and feelings, your perspective? How, how, did, you, how did you promote this and encourage people to contribute? We did ask questions. Um, we never were present. What's so great about this project is that actually it's very intimate and very personal because they filmed themselves. So we would send that. We ha- each each of our senior producers was assigned to anywhere from you know two to ten contributors, and they developed relationships with them and continued to watch their video as they came in and so we would ask them to um if they if they were doing certain things if they could record it we would ask them to do certain um questions you know for us and that's that's the fun of producing um a story and then following it and because obviously they're not going to film themselves for 24 hours a day but Mm -hmm. some of them did film specific, you know, a lot of material for us about what was going on um, in their lives and how they film it is even part of their POV. That's also interesting. Hmm. You know, it reminds me what just came up in my mind was that this is um, similar to 
what would be considered the very first reality show. Yeah. And MTV pulled it off, and it was called A Real World. And I remember watching it. Yeah. I, I especially, now I don't know why, I just liked the guy who had the long hair. I can't remember his name. He was the guy with the long hair. Anyway. Well, I work in reality TV, so I've, 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 I am a network television showrunner, so mm-hmm. I have my, and I'm, I've been around for a long time. So actually, I think I would say the first reality show was Survivor. Survivor. Maybe you're, you may be right about that. I, was, I would say Survivor. Yeah. And then, um, road, what was it? Road Rules? No. Um, what was the one that you just said? The MTV uh, oh, uh, Re- Real World. Real World, right. Yeah. 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 And Big Brother. But yeah. Um, I remember thinking when Survivor came out, how are they ever going to keep the show going? Like, you know, how. Yeah. I, I, even when I launched uh, a Dr. Phil show, I launched that show. I thought, how, how many people can he give instruction to? Well, here we are 20 years later and it's still on the air. Yeah. I have, I've joked with people saying that, uh, you know, cause I don't, I don't watch reality uh, television in that regard. Um, uh, you know, cause I'm not a real fan of the, the competitive nature that they inject I- into the processes. I got enough, uh, injected into my real life. I don't need to. Uh, agree. But I've also agree. jokingly said with people, I said, look, you know, if they turn my life into a reality show, I wouldn't watch it. Now, that's not to say my life isn't interesting. It is to me, but not enough to sit down and watch me live my life. Yeah. Um, so I, <laughs> I, that's just kind of where I am at. But yeah. I have talked with people about the actual value of reality shows and I was talking with a gentleman a couple of years ago about Survivor. And he says, because I was rather critical back then, uh, a little less so now. Um, and he says, well, yeah, I, I get the negative uh, uh, critique of Survivor, Survivor as well as reality shows. But you have to consider, he says, what that has done to the level of confidence and curiosity of the people watching to go out and do stuff that yeah. they might not have considered doing. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I sort of begrudgingly say I worked in reality. It's an interesting field. You know, I mean, it's not my proudest career move. Um, I've done so many other kinds of shows too, crime shows and, and uh, talk shows and cooking shows and so much more interesting mm-hmm. um, programming. I personally don't watch reality, but it's it's been a very interesting genre to create. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's documentary so- is much more interesting, much, much, much more. And, and in one sense, uh, that's kind of what uh, uh, YouTube and Facebook have sort of turned into in terms of people posting these little snippets of their lives, uh, whether it's sort of a, a journaling you know, where each day or week they'll post a video, uh, hey, this week I did this, that, and the other thing. Or uh, in many cases, it's sort of uh, helped people to jump into a career they never thought they had. I mean, I was yeah. told years ago I needed to get into video. And I, as I shared with you, uh, I resisted it because of the the time it takes just to set up. I mean, the background that you see behind me, only part of that is a virtual those rocks, that's virtual. Uh, the other part, the black, that's actually soundproofing in, on the wall behind me. Uh, and, um, of course, I got to get now my, my, myself centered as best I can in the, in the, I'm doing my own cinematography, 
you know, wore this nice, nice, uh, I don't even know what the color is of the shirt. Anyway, and I mean, there's so much preparation, whereas you jump behind a mic, you flip the switch and you're off and running. Uh, start recording and away you go. And that's the way I used to do these programs. Even when I had people in studio and we were, I was never videoing these, these uh, uh, programs. I'm glad I'm doing it now because it's very interesting to watch myself. Not from an egotistical standpoint and not really from a critical standpoint, but from a, 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 as much of an objective perspective as I can to see how I can make it better. You know, maybe I should have, you know, if I'm going to do video, maybe I should have trimmed my beard a little bit more, you know. Or <laughs> as, I, as I shared with you, I'm wearing my hat to reduce the shine off my head because of the lighting in here. I don't have, it's, it's right. uh, fluorescent. So, and then plus the fact that that's sort of my, I, I suppose you might say my brand, if you will, my style. Anyway, so uh, it's one of those things where, okay, this pandemic has opened up, as I mentioned earlier, opportunities that none of us even knew existed, but many of us, such as yourself, are taking advantage of. Is Aside from this documentary... What has this opened up for you in that regard? Uh, are there things now that you are doing that you, aside from <laughs> not realizing, you know, I can still do a documentary even though I'm locked down. Uh, but are there other things that, that have come up that weren't there prior to the lockdown? I'm really appreciating the small moments of connection with my daughter, um, with having to adapt to a new lifestyle in a way that I never thought I would be able to do or could do. Um, that is, that's been a mental challenge um, that I'm finding sort of interesting. I can't imagine people that don't like food, what they're doing. Cause I love to cook. Uh -huh. And so I've been cooking. So I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm a little cooked out. I never thought I'd get there in my entire life, but I make three full meals every single day for the two of us. And I've really enjoyed it. Um, and so that's kind of been nice. Um, and, you know, it's the simple things. It's yeah. really the simple things. That's what it's ended up coming down to. I think we're all going to have much greater appreciation for going to concerts and movies and just seeing friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I realize that this is somewhat of a small example on one level. Uh, but uh, back at the turn of the 18th to uh, the 19th to the 20th centuries, we went from the horse and buggy to the automobile. Right. All right. That changed everything. I, I don't know this because I haven't studied the history of it. Uh, I would venture there was a little bit of uh, resistance by the horse and buggy manufacturers for a short right. time. Right. But eventually they acquiesced and we still have them. They're not prolific like they used to be, but they're still around. I'm sure in Central Park, uh, they still have horse and buggies that take people on rides yeah. through the park, that kind of thing. That's just one example. And I'm sure other cities do it as well. Um, one of the things that I found so fascinating uh, watching other documentaries of people in other countries, uh, there was a gentleman who was a farmer in this one documentary we were watching. And he was... Um, he was driving this car, and I want to say he was in Russia, uh, a, a one of the Russian countries. Uh, and he was being uh, uh, filmed and talking about his life. And yes, they had electricity and running water, but they didn't live in, in, in the urban sector. It was very rural. And they were very happy. 
They didn't yeah. have the modern conveniences that you and I have. And they were very happy. And I don't think we appreciate what we have. I think, I, think, I think that we we have running water and, and I mean, just the very simple things of what we all have every day has yeah. gotten really, really lost. You know, especially where I live, you know, I see people just... It it's it's I don't personally I've lived in L.A. and in New York for the last 25 years and I'm I'm ready to go a little bit out of the urban, you know, everything just because I do think that there needs to be a lot more gratitude for the simpler things in life. I mean, you know, creating and and there's a there's definitely a big importance to like I do think there is a cultural impact to beauty and and fashion and art and fine dining it is does have an important place in our world but i think a lot of times we've gotten a little bit spoiled yeah well here's here's an observation of mine and as a documentarian i'm sure you've you've observed this at least if you have not uh, um, uh, done a documentary regarding people in this area but many other cultures around the world who are considered third world Many countries in Africa, the various tribes and the communities, the, the villages and the towns. When you go in there, they are in a similar situation to this one gentleman I was just talking about. And yet, if you have observed, you've been aware of the clothing that they are wearing, as well as the demeanor on their faces. Vibrant. I'm like this shirt I'm wearing. It comes up very vibrant on the video, Right. They are wearing incredibly colorful clothing, and they seem to be very happy people. And yet they don't have the modern conveniences of the 21st century, and it doesn't seem to bother them in the least. And yet we keep wanting to bring to them all of the modern conveniences. And yes, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, you know. But do they want it? It's it's kind of going back to the, the question of where's the prime directive when you need it? If they want it, if they've asked for it, let's let's help them out. But if they didn't ask, why are we forcing this this upon them? They're perfectly right. fine the way they are. I'm curious right. about I'm curious about uh, the um, uh, I'm curious about the um, uh, 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 demeanor of the people that you have uh, uh, associated with over the years in the documentaries that you've done. Have you observed that around the world traveling uh, in terms of people who are in less than first, shall I say, or industrial or or developed areas? I think the most interesting place I've been to document was um, 22 episodes of um, the A&E hit show um, Beyond Scared Straight. And so I've been inside 22 maximum security prisons. There was five seasons, I believe, but I did the first um, first two. Um, and I uh, found that a lot of the inmates, for the most part, the ones that we were dealing with mm-hmm. who already had been reformed on some level and were leading these kids through um, programs to teach them how to stay out of jail, um, they were very comfortable in the structure of what the lifestyle was that they had there, knowing that they would have shelter, they would have food, that they would have some sense of community around them. There's obviously huge 
jail and prison, um, you know, drama and issues within it. But to answer that particular question, um, yes, there's there there they adapted in a less than situation for yeah. them. Abby Levine, I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing uh, this story of COVID POV. And it is COVID-19 POV, actually, the documentary. Points of View is what the POV stands for. We encourage people to go to uh, Facebook and uh, you said Instagram and put that in there and they will find uh, uh, information and uh, the trailer and so forth. Uh, we will be linked to uh, uh, one of those uh, locations so that people can get more information and do look forward to the release. Uh, whether you do it on the anniversary thereof, once you figure out what that anniversary date is <laughs> or um, or you just release it and say, hey, here it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, please watch it and uh, ponder it and so forth. Uh, I think it's extremely important that we do that. Now, before I l release you <laughs> uh, to go back into quarantine, uh, I do have three final questions for you that I ask all of my guests. And you may have sort oh. of addressed them throughout the program, uh, but I like to ask them pointedly. Before I do, I want to remind our listeners we're here at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings, uh, Sunday mornings, Sundays. And then Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations with the podcast so that you can uh, also share those. I thank the fact that you folks are reposting. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. Any amount is gratefully appreciated. And please participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Uh, we've got nine years to go, but we hope you'll continue beyond that. Spend that time going within and recentering because that's what's going to help you to get through uh, the trying times, whether because COVID isn't going to be here forever. This is the era of COVID. OK, eras do not last forever. Uh, and it may seem like a long time. But once we're on the other side, it's going, boy, that went by like a flash. And it really it really does. Before I let you go, let me ask you of the three. Number one is who is Abby Levine? That's the question? That is the first of three. Oh, my goodness. How much time do you have? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I'm going to give you the answer that's on my personal Instagram, which is short and sweet. So I, um, I am a warrior. I'm a hustler. I'm a mama. Um, I'm a producer. I'm a sparkle spreader. And I, uh, there's, there's a couple other R things. I'm a lover. And I'm a dancer. Um, that's what's on my Instagram. And I also curate what I what if anyone out there at all is thinking about having a child over 45, I am a huge advocate of egg and embryo donation. And if you have no idea what that means, my Instagram mama by design, M-O-M-M-A by design will tell me will tell you my story. Uh -huh. And that's always something I'm proud to promote. Very good. All right. Second question. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Legacy is actually very important to me. Um, and I have always wanted to um, leave behind um, good 
in the world. I want to take people higher. I'm, I believe in cheerleading other people and in helping them find their superpower um, and in telling their story. It's interesting, actually, you're the title of your program, because uh, what I have always told people um, as my one liner as a producer is that I believe everybody has a story to tell, mm -hmm. no matter who you are. Um, and in fact, I actually had an events company called Every Party Tells a Story at one point in my lifetime. Um, but I believe in giving as a form of love. I believe in hope, you know, as a form of just a daily um, energy. Um, my daughter and I do affirmations in the morning in bed. She's 14 months and I'm teaching her now how to do them and she's learning. And, and um, I believe that we should all understand each other, even if you don't agree. Absolutely. There is a big difference between agreeing and understanding and understanding is where we want to come from. And uh, that's what this program is all about as well. Final question. What is your life's purpose? Dude, these are heavy questions at the end. <laughs> Jeez, weave. My life's purpose. Um, I'm a sparkle spreader. Okay. Well, I want to thank you again, Abby Levine, for joining us. COVID-19 POV is the name of the documentary. And you can go to Facebook, pop that in there, or Instagram as well. Or, again, that was Mama by Design to find out more if you're interested in uh, If you're over 40, I'm over 60, so I, I, I can't, I, you know, forget it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, we thank you so much for uh, sharing with us. And I would love to have you back again to talk more about the sparkle part of your life, even though that's going to come through the documentary COVID-19 POV. Um, because one of the areas that we do talk about is the more esoteric, more spiritual and metaphysical aspects of people's lives as they do the work and the, the fill, fulfill the life's purpose, purpose that they have come here to do. And we'd love to talk to you more about that if you're uh, open to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm open to that, Richard. Thank you. Great. That's, that's sweet ask. Thank Th you. That, I appreciate your time and where you're coming from, too. Well, thank you so much. And I thank you for listening and watching Tell Me Your Story, uh, both the radio broadcast, a podcast on the Internet, as well as a video cast on YouTube. And we appreciate the fact that you are supporting us. Sometimes it's just by watching. Thank you, because we hope that you understand where we're coming from. We hope that you can understand where our guests are coming from. You don't have to agree. I don't agree with my guests all the time. And there are times when um, they will challenge my perspectives and then my little huts of straw go burning to the ground. I'm willing to burn them all to the ground to learn something new. That's what it's all about. I'd rather begin in doubt and end in certainty than vice versa. Until our next broadcast podcast, love to love.